be in Luke chapter 15. We're going to try to be mindful as best as possible of your time. I know there are probably a lot of plans today. But I do want to share with all of us, not just dads, but all of us in this room. Luke chapter 15 is a parable that Jesus told that I know all of you are very, very familiar with. And whenever we preach from or teach from or talk about this parable, we'll usually call it the parable of the... Anybody want to help me out if you're there? Parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. But I want you to read verse 11 where it begins. Jesus says, A certain man had two sons. Now, I was not an English major. Matter of fact, history was the one I liked the most. Outside of math, English was probably the subject that I liked the least, and you can probably tell that each Sunday uh, as, we, as we go. But if I remember English, the subject of this sentence, the subject of this story, is not either son. The subject is the father. We... And I've done it, and there's nothing wrong with it. You can get a lot of insights from focusing in on the prodigal son who left. Or I've preached before about the prodigal son who stayed home because there are two prodigals in the story. There's a prodigal who went away that we see as a prodigal. We have no problem judging him as a prodigal because he left home. He wanted everything he could get. He went out and he squandered all of his inheritance on riotous living. And then when he finally ran through all of his inheritance and didn't have anything less and left and he was left uh, feeding the pigs and was hungry, then he came to his senses. We know the story. He comes home. Well, that sounds like a prodigal. But there were two prodigal sons in the story because the whole time that prodigal son was gone living a wild life, there was another son at home. And he was working and he was serving the father. And day and night he was in the fields and taking care of the father's business. But we find out he was a prodigal in his heart even though he looked the part. He was showing up. He was doing the work. He, he said all the right things and he did all the right things. The problem was he was doing them all for the wrong reason. We find out he wasn't serving because he loved the Father. He wasn't serving because he cared about the well-being of the Father. He was serving because he was concerned about his reputation and the inheritance he would have. We find that out because when his brother finally does come home, he can't even join in the celebration with his father and accept the fact that his father is thrilled because this prodigal brother of his... As a matter of fact, he won't even call him his brother. He says, this son of yours who has come back from all these years of riotous living. He says, I'm not even going to come in the house. And we find out that both sons were prodigal. So the only hero in this story is a father who never gave up, who never quit, who always cared, who always forgave, who always had compassion, and who always loved both prodigal sons. Then he said a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods or inheritance that falls to me. Now since he's the younger brother under Jewish law and Jewish tradition, his portion would not be as much as the older brother's, but yet there would be something that was coming to him. So he says, hey, give it to me now, Dad. Now Here's the thing, and if you've been here and you've heard me preach on this story, you know this. Normally, these inheritances were doled out once the father had died. 
That's why when Jesus calls certain disciples and one of them says, you know, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus says, well, let the dead bury their own dead. You come and follow, follow, uh, follow me. Do you ever think that was kind of uncaring of Jesus to say that? It's okay to be honest. Did you ever? I did. Man, when I, every time I'd read that scripture, I thought, man, Jesus, that's harsh. I mean, the man just wants to go take care of his responsibilities. If his father's dead, he wants to go bury his father. Can you not, Jesus, just be patient long enough to let the man bury his poor old father and come follow you? But if you know Jewish tradition, Jesus wasn't being harsh at all. His father wasn't dead yet. This son was probably the eldest son, and he knew the inheritance was coming to him. And he wanted to make sure that in following Jesus, he didn't squander his inheritance. So he wanted to stay home with his father until he died so that he could make sure he got the inheritance so that he had everything he needed and then he would follow Jesus. Well, that's not my subject. That sounds like a lot of us. Well, Jesus, I'll follow you when I get this all straightened out. Well, Jesus, I'll, I'll do what you call me to do when I get all of this in order. Well, Jesus, once everything in my life is straightened up and everything's perfect and I have peace and all my checking accounts are taken care of, then I'll do what you called me to do. And to him, Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. You come and follow me. So this youngest son who's coming, he's not asking for more than his inheritance. He knows the older brother is due the largest part, the birthright. But he's saying, give it to me now. In essence, he's saying, Dad, I don't care if you live or die. I just want the money. Just give it to me now. I want it while I'm young. I want it while I can do something with it. I want it while I can enjoy it. So just give it to me now. Again, the son is certainly not the hero of the story. But the father is amazing. Because there's a little detail plugged in here that unless you've heard me say this before, it took me years to find it. It just dawned on me one day as I was reading through, and I go, wow. It says that the younger son asked for the portion of the inheritance that falls to him. So the father divided to them his livelihood. Them. Them. Not only, you know, he could have said no. He could have used manipulation and pulled some strings and said, just who do you think you are? If you want your inheritance, you're going to stay around and you're going to work the fields and you're going to do everything I say and you're going to treat me right and you're going to be here. If, you, if you're not here, you won't get a penny from me. He could have done that and he would have been well within his rights to do so. But not only does the father give the younger son what he asked for, he goes ahead right now and gives the older son what he didn't ask for. He divided, but why? Because to this father, it wasn't about his money. And it wasn't about the land. And it wasn't about the home. To this father, all that mattered were his sons. And so he divided the inheritance to both of his sons, both the younger and the elder. And for not many days after that, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possession with prodigal. That means wasteful living. We know that part of the story. But when he had spent everything he had, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in lack. And then he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly, talking about the younger son, he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one 
gave him anything. Listen, there's a life lesson in there. It's not what I'm preaching on today, but there's a life lesson in there. No matter how much we may feel entitled, and no matter how much the media and the modern age makes us think we are entitled in this world, they're not going to give you anything. There is nothing out there where anybody is entitled to give you anything except what you earn. And in the world out there, I don't care if you're young, old, or in between. I don't care where you're at, what you're from, or what your background. In this world, they're not going to give you anything except what benefits them. The quicker we learn that, the better off we will be. The good news is we have a Heavenly Father who does not think that way. Aren't you glad that Jesus saved you before you could prove that you could do anything for Him? How many of you since you've been saved have messed up more than once? I should raise both hands. He knew everything. He knew our failures, our frustrations, our mix-up, and our sin. And yet, He called us. The Bible says that even before we were born, even before we could come into this world, Jesus gave his life for us and he cared for us and gave, he was already the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He had already chosen to make the sacrifice before you ever came on the scene. He forgave us. He loved us because that's who he is. And here's the good news. God, our heavenly father, had chosen to put that plan into action and give his only begotten son so that we could be saved and forgiven long before we ever had a chance to cry out. And listen, here's the good news. No matter how much you do for God, and there are things that everyone in this room have done for God. You've blessed me. You've blessed this church. But here's the deal. Everything that's good and everything that's perfect, guess where it came from? It came down from God, the Father of lights. If you've got any talent, guess what? It came from God. If you've got any wisdom, guess what? It came from God. If you've got any charisma, guess what? It came from God. Anything, any creativity, anything you've got, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, it came from God. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from God. So we don't have any reason to boast about anything. On top of that, everything you've done in service to the king that would qualify under the realm of a calling or a ministry, or a gift of the Spirit or an anointing from God. Guess where that came from? That didn't come from you. It didn't originate with you. It didn't originate with me. It only flows down from God and it's only by His mercy and by His grace that He's able to use me. I don't want to blow your mind in this place today, but there are many, many times when I've come into this place, I didn't feel good. I didn't sleep good on Sunday night or on Saturday night before. I hate to say this and it's all my fault because my wife... She, she would never argue with me over anything that wasn't my fault. But there's been a few times that right before I walked into a church service, we had had just a, we don't argue really, we just have disagreements until I figure out that she was right all the time. So in, anyway, we've had a few disagreements, and there are times that I've walked out of the car and walked into this building right out, fresh out of a disagreement, hoping that my face is not even still red, walking into the place saying, thank you, Jesus, God, you're going to have to give it to me. And those have been, listen, listen, listen. Listen, listen. Those have been some of the best services we've ever had in the history of me pastoring this church. Now, me and my wife are not going to argue every service so that we can have a good service, but I think that there's something about that because, you see, I walk into the pulpit thinking, God, there, I can't do this. God, I don't deserve to be standing behind this podium. God, I, and, and I think something loosens up where God says, Phew, finally. Now, let me do this. Because you see, every anointing, every calling, every gifting, everything good, it comes from God. The world gives you nothing, and yet our Father, who we take for granted, 
and many times turn our back on, He gives us everything He has. Knowing all the time we'll squander. See, we get so tough on this prodigal son. Everybody in this room, if I ask you, how y'all feel about the prodigal son? Oh, he's awful. My goodness, he's terrible. I'd never be like that. You are that son. That's you. That's not me. I didn't go waste everything. Then you're the other one. You're one or the other. Did you notice he didn't give you an in-between? See, Jesus is telling this story. He knows exactly what he's doing. He only listed two sons, and both of them are prodigals. The hero is only the father. See, that's the problem with most of us. We want to be the hero in our story. We want to be the one who comes across looking good. And you see, that's not what disciples do. Jesus doesn't call disciples so that we can get the praise and we can get the glory and we can look good. Jesus is calling people who are willing to blend completely into the background so that he can get the praise and he can get the glory and he can come across showing who he is. The world may not give you anything. That's okay. You don't really want anything they can give you. But our Heavenly Father, he's given us everything in spite of of where we've been and what we've done and what we will do. Verse 17, I love this phrase. When he came to himself, talking about the prodigal son, one of them. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. I want to stop right there. A couple of things I want to say about the father. First of all, the father in this story, if you haven't figured out by now, is God. So for every dad in this room, who has a child that's running. For every dad in this room who has a child that isn't following after the heart of God, you may feel like a failure. You may feel like, you may be frustrated. You may feel like all you can think about is what I might have done different. Here's the news. Do you know who is the father who has the most prodigals on the planet? God. And I got news for you. He didn't fail. God's the best father there's ever been. And he has more prodigals than any father that's ever been. And if we'll follow the example of the heavenly father in this story, if you've got a prodigal, I believe you can see that prodigal come home. The first thing you've got to do, though, is stop feeling like a failure and stop blaming yourself. Because, listen, did, we, did you make a mistake? Welcome to the human race. We all have. There's not a, you can name the best dad on this planet that you can imagine. And I guarantee you, if that dad were honest, he'd tell you, man, I made some mistakes. There's some things I wish I could go back and get. There's some words I wish I could pull back. There, there, there's some actions I wish I wouldn't have made. There's, there's some things that I've done. If I could go back and do it, I'd do them different. Everybody makes mistakes and everybody fails. There may be some things that you need to make right. But at the end of the day, you could have been perfect. You could have done everything you could have possibly 
possibly done right and that child still has a will of their own, they could still go run, they could still go do what they're going to do. So the good news is there is a father who is bigger than you. Moms, there is a parent who is bigger than you. There is someone who can go where you can't go, speak where you can't speak, reach where you can't reach and do what you can't do. There's someone who has never failed and never will. There's one who's far more patient than we are. The good news is this father was selfless. He didn't manipulate. He didn't use guilt. All he did was say, if that's what you want, if that's what you're here for, if that's what you're serving me for, take what you think will make you happy and let you go. And in that is a lesson. Be careful what you think you want. Because sometimes God will let you have it. Just so you can find out that that's not really what you need. Did you know this father in this story did not make a mistake? You know, I read that story for years and thought the father made a big mistake. This father did not make a mistake. He knew that the only way he could ever have the heart of this son was to let him run to the end of what he wished so that he could figure out that what he wanted was not what he really needed because he knew deep down inside, listen, this father was not only selfless, this father was not only generous, but this father was confident. He knew that the seed he had planted when these boys were young would eventually come home and bring a harvest. He trusted in the power of the seed so that wherever this son would go, he knew that that seed would be there with him. Even if he wound up in a pig pen, he knew the power of the promise. So he trusted in what he had planted in these young men's hearts when they were See, a Jewish society is very different than our society. You know, when a young man is considered a man in Jewish society, it would totally wreck the Western world. They have what they call, a, everybody knows the term, a bar mitzvah. Do you know about what age they have that? It's about the age of 12. That's the time when they've learned and studied the Scriptures to the point that they're proficient in Scripture more than most of us would be, at least in the Old Testament. At that point, they feel like they're ready for manhood. So that bar mitzvah is a right and a release into manhood. It's at that point, particularly in these times, when they would begin to take on the profession of a father. If the father was a carpenter, they would begin to be a carpenter with them. If the father was a farmer, they would begin to be a farmer with them. Whatever that father did, that's what they would do. When? At the ripe old age of 12. They were considered to take us. So we don't even know how young or how old these, this man. We, we, this young man could be anywhere from 15 to 21. We really don't know. But he was considered under Jewish right and under Jewish society. Did you know most of the disciples that Jesus called were in their teens into their early 20s at the most because under Jewish tradition most men who would follow a rabbi and devote themselves to the disciple would do so somewhere between the ages of 12 and 21 so almost all of the disciples except for a precious few were probably in their late teens to early 20s when Jesus said sacrifice everything you have come and follow me and be my disciple isn't that amazing and here we are with all of our young people. We wait until they're about 33 to think, oh, I'm just worried about I tell you what, you know, I, I don't know if they can make it in the real world. I, I, you know, you're going to tell me. I know what you're about to say. Pastor, the world has changed. And I know it has. But I got some good news for you. God has not. <laughs> He's faithful. He's good. So finally, this young man, what does it say he did? He came to himself. What does that mean? He came back to who he actually was. Parents, don't get, I know it's hard. You're, well, it's a silly thing to say. You're going to get alarmed, okay? But don't panic when your kids aren't acting like themselves. If you planted the right seed, they'll come back to themselves. The hardest part is we just don't know when. But the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. 
And when he is old, he will not depart from it. So trust in the power of the seed. Trust in the power of the word. He finally comes to himself and says, I'm going to go home. I want you to notice the generosity of the father. Here's what this son says. You know what? I could be a hired hand for my dad and be treated better than most people are by their fathers. I'll just go home and be a hired hand because all of dad's hired hands are treated better than anybody I see in this country. I'd be treated better as a hired hand with my dad. My dad is so generous that he takes care of those who are just working for him better than most people take care of their sons. The generosity of... And and now, this blows your mind when you start to realize who Jesus said the Father in this story represents. He represents God. And hasn't he been generous to us? How many of you woke up alive today? (laughs) If you didn't, we're filming The Walking Dead here, right? That's a gift, guys. You didn't earn that. Many times, and you've heard me say this before, I'll go through a list when I start feeling down or discouraged. And I'll just start telling God all the things that I take for granted every day. God, I thank you I can see. God, I thank you I can hear. God, I thank you I can talk. God, I thank you I can think. I thank you I can walk. God, I thank you, God, that I have food on my table. I thank you I live in a free country. I thank you for my children. I thank you for my wife. I thank you I've had good faith family and friends all my life. God, I thank you. And I begin for my spiritual heritage. And I begin to go through and thank God little by little, step by step. Before long, I'm not discouraged anymore. I'm not depressed anymore. But none of those things, and you and I could both do that, but none of those things came our way because we earned any of those things. All of those things came our way because of a gracious and generous and glorious God in heaven who loves us. This son came to himself and said, I'm going to go home. He, he didn't think his father, not only did he think, he knew he didn't deserve to be made a son. And see, knowing a little background into Jewish culture would help us understand his thinking. Because if you had treated your father like that in Jewish culture, you would have been disowned, disinherited. Most fathers would have never given the inheritance to begin with. And even if they did, you would then be disinherited. Not only would you not be welcome. This is going to make sense in a minute. Hang on. Not only would you not be welcome home to the house, you would not have been welcomed into town. If the men of the town had seen you coming back after doing what this youngest son done, there's no telling what they would. Remember, they stoned people there for dishonoring their parents. They would have, if they could have short-circuited and caught this son on his way back in, he could have been in serious trouble. Because there would have been no forgiveness there. And they would have been within their rights under the Old Testament law to do everything they would have done to that son. Now, something we're about to read is going to make a whole lot more sense now if you've never thought about that. So he says, I'm going to go. I'm not worthy to be called his son, but I'm going to make myself like one of... See if he'll allow me to be like one of his hired servants. So verse 20 says, he arose, he came to his father. But while he was still a great ways off. He wasn't just a few feet away. He was a great ways off. His father saw him. I wonder why. Was it just coincidence that he just happened to be looking out at just the right time? I don't think so. I think that every day the father was watching. Now a lot of us would just be bitter. We'd just be angry. We're so full of ourselves we'd just be angry as a father but he wasn't. Every day he was watching, waiting for this son to come home. 
So while he was still a great way off, the father saw him, and he had compassion. Now notice this. He ran to him. Two reasons, two things on this. Now you understand why he ran. You know why he ran? One of the reasons is he didn't want anybody else in town to get to him before he did. He didn't want anybody else to come in and put their opinion on his son. He didn't want anybody else to come in before he had a chance to say things. Who do you think you are? Don't you know your father would never want you back at home after what you did? I can't believe you would even come into the city limits of this town. While you, don't you ever go back. You have no right to. He didn't want anybody else's opinion getting in the way. Because this father did not care what anybody else's opinion was. He loved his son. So he ran so that the first person he saw and the first words he ever heard would be his words of release and compassion and forgiveness. The other big thing about that, about Jewish culture, is men in the Jewish society, particularly noble men, which this man probably was, fairly wealthy, they would never run in public because it was considered to be undignified. This man didn't care what anybody thought about him. When he saw his son from a far way off, he would have had to pick up his cloak just a little bit, this tunic that he was wearing, and he ran. I believe he ran as fast as he could run. And the Bible says that when he got there, he fell on his son's neck. That, to me, speaks of somebody who's running almost out of control. And he fell on his son's neck when he saw him. Now, the son wants to go into his spill, and we understand that. After he kissed him and the son starts speaking, he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You know what? He was right. He was exactly right. But the father, those are the three. I've got those words circled and highlighted in my Bible. But the father. Because, see, if you can't identify with this son, you've forgotten what it means to be free. If you can't identify with this son, it's been too long since you've thought about what Jesus forgave you of. You see, that's you. That's me. We had no right to be called children of God. We had no right to be welcomed into his arms. And all of us needed to say, and we were ready to say, hey, I'm not worthy. And as a matter of fact, most of us, even after we've been saved, still spend most of our lives saying, I'm not worthy. 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 I'm sure God wouldn't do that for me because I'm not worthy. I'm sure God wouldn't answer that prayer for me. I'm not worthy. I'm sure God could never use me like that. I'm not worthy. Guess what? You've said the truest words that could ever be uttered. You're not worthy. I'm not worthy. Billy Graham's not worthy. James Dobson's not worthy. Whoever your hero is, they're not worthy. Paul wasn't worthy. Peter wasn't worthy. Thomas wasn't worthy. There's only one man who's ever lived that was ever worthy, and his name is Jesus. If your name is not Jesus, and if you're not the Son of God, none of us are worthy. And if you've forgotten that, I thank God I'm here today to give you a reminder because it'll set you free. You don't get anything from God based on how worthy you are. You get everything you'll ever get from God based on how worthy Jesus is and the fact that He put His worth on your account once and for all. So the Father, He interrupted His Son. Wouldn't even let Him finish what He was saying. Now see, He's not like us because most of us would have at least enjoyed hearing the confession. Even if we were going to welcome him back in, we would have at least, we would have, I mean, here's what we would say, it's good for you. It's good for you. Go ahead and say it. It's good for you. But this father was different. He said to his servants, 
Notice he's not even talking to his son. He said to his servants, hey, we got some stuff to do. He said, I want you to bring the best robe, and I want you to put it on him, and I want you to put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. I want you to bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry for this my, not servant. Did you know the son would have been happy to have had that designation? Where he had been, servant would have been a great, great, great change. He would have been glad to be just a servant. That's how most of us are. We're just glad to be a servant. I'm just glad to be a servant if I can just live over in a corner of glory land somewhere. Some cabin somewhere over in glory land. I'll be happy. If I can just get to heaven. How many of you? Don't say if you said it. If I can just get there by the skin of my teeth, I'll be happy. I understand. I understand your thought. I've said it. And most of us would be more than satisfied just to be a household slave. In the house of God. And you would be better off to be a household slave in the Father's house than anywhere in the world. But you see, the thing is, God's not going to let that stand. Because your Father calls you something besides a servant. He calls you a son or a daughter. See, that's the message that a lot of us are missing. If all you identify yourself with in your walk with God is what you do, You need a revival. Because God didn't call you for, I don't care how good you are at what you do. God can find a million other people who can do it a million times better than you can. Today, right now, this second. Matter of fact, let me just blow some, just pop your balloon real good. Because Jesus said this. He could raise up one of those chairs right there and make them do a better job than you can at whatever you think you're doing such a good job at for God. Oh, he never said that. No, he said it this way. When they told him to shut the little kids up that were singing praise to him, Jesus said, have you not heard? Do you not understand? Listen, I could raise up one of these trees and they could sing praise to me. Listen, God's used all kinds of strange things. The fact that God uses you doesn't say anything about you. It says an awful lot about the Father. See, that's where our, our attention has shifted a lot from the Father. In America, in the West, we get our attention on us and what we're doing. And that's the reason that we are languishing in despair. And we're frustrated and we're unfulfilled. And we don't feel loved. And we, can't, we don't have productive prayer lives. Because we think it's about what we're doing. And God's trying to get across to you. Listen, I'm only letting you do this because I love you. I don't care if you do it or not. I can get somebody else to do that tomorrow. I can raise anything up to do that. Do you not understand this? I don't I haven't called you a slave. I called you my son or my daughter. It's amazing to me that the first thing the father wanted to do was have a party. Boy, some of us, when we get to heaven, we're not going to know what to do around God. Because we see him as this stern, severe, the idea of God calling a party we can't even wrap our mind around. I want you to understand, it wasn't the servants or the sons that said, let's have a party. It's God. And when God decides to have a party, he says, bring the best meat we got. Put on the best clothes you can come up with. Give him the best ring. Deck him out. We are going to have a party tonight. Now, his older son, the elder brother, was in the field all this time. See, that's the problem when all we're doing is thinking we're slaving away for God. We're never around when the parties happen. We're never around for the celebrations. And even if we were around for the celebrations, we'd be too busy doing what it is we think it's so essential for us to do that we wouldn't have time to stop and celebrate. And we'd think the whole time that we're being religious and spiritual. The older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Whoo! 
Ooh, that's a whole nother message. You see that? Dancing? And who's the father in this story? Ooh. Boy, that would rock the religious world upside down. Okay, anyway, that's not what we're preaching on. Let's just go on. Okay, so he called one of the servants. Well, it was probably dancing in the spirit, brother. Hallelujah. Okay, anyway. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come because he has received, and we have, he has been received safe and sound. Your father has killed the fatted calf. Now notice the older brother's reaction. He was angry. Man, when we've got a spirit of religion, it seems like we're always angry. If you can identify one motion, one emotion with the spirit of religion, it's anger. Always angry about something. He was angry. Would not go in. Notice this. Where is the father? Who's the hero? The father. Where's the father? Inside. Where's the son who thinks he's serving the father? Outside. Not only is he outside, he refuses to go inside and celebrate with the father. So I won't go in. So I love this. He was angry and wouldn't go in. Therefore, his father came out to him. And notice this phrase. Once again, drops his dignity and he pleaded with him. You see, the father knew exactly who he was. He didn't have to manipulate, but he was willing. The father was humble. He was willing to come out to the son. He didn't have to. Matter of fact, the father could have demanded that this older son come in. They didn't. Isn't it amazing that God just lets you do? He lets you go. Oh, you don't believe that? How many ever had to come home? Why did you have to come home? Because he let you go. Now, he was never far from you. He was always there. But if you want to run, he'll let you run. He'll let you run away. Or he'll let you stay right there in the church and run in your heart. He'll let you do what you choose. The good news is, whenever you get close to the house, he'll come and meet you. No matter what your attitude is. I love that. He'll come and meet you. He came to meet the younger son who was repentant. And he came to meet the older son who was angry. Do you know why? Because the father is the hero and the father just loved his sons. He just loved them both. You know what the father really wanted? He just wanted to have a relationship with both of them. You know, he didn't care if this older son was out serving in the fields. He would have rather him at this moment been in the house. He just wanted to have a relationship. He wanted both of them to understand his love. So he answered and he said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been, notice this phrase, serving you. That actually could have been rendered slaving away for you. How many Christians feel that way about their relationship with God? God, I've been slaving away for you for 20 years. God, I've been obedient to you. When are you ever going to answer my prayers? As if we're stacking up markers with God. Here's what I've done, God. You owe me this. If you've ever even said those words, know that you're not alone. But do think about how far we are removed from the reality of the relationship that God wants with us. He says, I've been serving you all these years. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. That's probably not the truth. But it's what he thinks. It's amazing to me when we're of a religious lot that we look at everybody else's sins and think how horrible they are. And we look at our sins and think that's really not a big deal. Everybody does that. Well, yeah, that's probably not right. But it's nothing like what they're doing. That's the older son. He said, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. You never threw a party for me. 
But as soon as this son of yours comes home whom has devoured your livelihood with harlots and killed the, you killed the fatted calf for him. He said to him, notice this. I love this phrase. Circled it in my Bible. Son. He's not acting like a son. He doesn't even deserve a response from his father. Many fathers, if we're not secure in who we are, would be offended. But you see, the heavenly father is too secure in who he is to be offended. Can I tell you something? There have been times in my life, I hate to say it, there's been times in my life when I wanted something from God, God didn't do what I wanted him to do, and I, 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 I just hate to tell you. But I'll tell you anyway, because I doubt that I'm alone. I used words, maybe not exactly these words, but I said, Now, God, look, I'm serving you with all my heart. Now, if I'm going to keep doing this, if I'm going to keep serving you, God, you're going to have to come through here somewhere. Do you know what that is? Well, at best, we can call it a bargain, and at worst, we can call it a threat. Think about what I just said there. God, either you answer this prayer, you start coming through, I'm going to quit. Now, I'm sure that God fell off his throne at that moment. I'm sure that all of heaven shook. I'm sure that he began to get up and pace and wring his hands and think, oh my, what if Lynn quits? Oh my goodness, what are we ever going to do? Oh my, we're going to have to come up with a new plan, a new idea. God knows exactly who he is. The good news is he's not intimidated by our threats and our bargains. He just said, you go on with your bad self. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's go see where you go. When you hit the wall and you've come to the end of yourself, when you come to yourself, know that you can come home. I'll be watching. But the good news is he's also not offended. He called him son. Have you ever read how David talks to God in the Psalms? And did you know that the Bible says David's a man after God's own heart? Boy, I'd love for us to drop our religious mask for once and stop acting like, oh, I would never do that. I would never do that. You know you've been disappointed. You know you've been disillusioned. You know you've been frustrated. You know that there have been times when you've struggled with your faith. And the good news is God knows all that too. And he's not offended and he's also not intimidated. I know you've made some bargains with God. I also know that if you haven't finished yet, you got to the end of that and found out that God was, didn't change his mind. But he also left the door open. The good news is he's calling you son or daughter because he loves you in spite of who you are. He said, you're always with me. Notice this phrase. Let me be honest with you. As a human father, I would not have said this. I would have probably not run to the one prodigal. I definitely wouldn't have gone out to the other prodigal. And if the older prodigal would have said this to me, I'm pretty sure I would not have said this back. Son, all that I have is yours. Everything. But you see, what he's doing is he's making a statement. Did you remember what we read at the beginning? I'm about done, but this is important. We're going back to it. He gave both of them. Remember that? So everything the older son wanted, he had the whole time. Everything he thought he was missing, the father had already given him. He said, son, he, he's not telling him something new right here. He's telling him something he had. Son, everything I have 
is yours. Don't you know you've had it all along? Everything's yours. Do you know the biggest problem most of us have is we don't realize what we have. Scriptures say it over and over and over again. It's preached over and over again. It's taught over and over again. We sing it in our courses over and over again. We say it, we sing it, we pray it, we believe it. We... But deep down, when the going gets tough, we doubt that God really has given us everything we need. But he said he did. The Apostle Peter said, God's given you everything you need pertaining to life and godliness, and through these exceedingly great and precious promises, he's made you a partaker in his divine and supernatural nature. Here's the good news. Everything the Father has is yours. Closes out with verse 32. It was right that we should make merry and be glad that your brother who was dead and is alive again, and your brother who was lost is found. The good news is for every father in this room, we're not as perfect as this father. Do you know why? Because we're not as secure in ourselves as God is. We're not as compassionate as God is. Do you know why? Because we're not God. But here's the good news. We have access to him. And this loving, wonderful, generous, compassionate, powerful, heavenly father loves you. He never fails. I don't care what you've done or where you've been. I don't care what kind of prodigal you are. And I don't care what kind of prodigals you have. This father is always watching. Now, we were taught as Sunday school kids, oh, he's always watching. But our idea of that is he's just ready to pounce and to pound. If we make a mistake, that's still the way a lot of Christians think. But the Bible says that God's ever present with us to deliver us. That he watches over his word when we put it into practice so that he can bring it to pass. God is watching. He's waiting just for us to say, Father, I blew it. I don't deserve anything, but if you'll take me back, I'm coming home. And we don't even get the words out of our mouth before the Father has his arms around us. Do you understand? That's the Father we serve. Boy, it would be a great thing not only if we would receive that love from our Father and become secure in his love, but dads, moms, wouldn't it be a great thing if we could love our kids the same way? Grandparents, wouldn't it be great if you could love your grandkids the same way? This is the example of the Father heart of God. As we close today, uh, there's a scripture in 1 John. We won't turn to it, but it, we had studied it a few weeks ago. But it talks about the different stages of a Christian life. It says that there, some of us are children. And he said that children are blessed because their sins are forgiven and they've known the Father. Then it talks about young men. Talks about how they're blessed because they become strong in the word and have become overcomers and able to defeat the enemy. Talks about them twice, lists those two different things, but then it talks about fathers twice. You know what it says about fathers? The same thing both times. Now, with children and young men, it says something a little different both times. But with fathers, both times it says the same thing. You know why fathers are blessed? says, because you've known him who is from the beginning. And that word implies intimacy. You've known him. When we first get saved and we come to Christ, all we know is that we're forgiven and we need him and that's it. And that's good enough. It's a start. As we grow in God, we face battles. We begin to recognize the enemy. We begin to understand the word of God gives us the power to overcome. And we begin to become warriors and overcomers. And that's good. We need that. But we also need some fathers. And the thing about fathers is they just know God. 
we start out needing to know God. Real Christian maturity is knowing Him. And that process, that journey never stops through all of the stages. The Bible says that, it said it right before Jesus came, that God would send the spirit of Elijah. And he would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. I believe that's also prophetic of what will happen before the Lord's return. I believe that God wants to raise, raise up in the church and among believers Fathers and mothers who will be willing to reach out to those who maybe never knew what it was to have somebody who loved them selflessly. Who didn't love them for what they could get back, but loved them for what they could give and was willing to give them everything. I wonder if in this room today, God would desire to raise up some spiritual fathers and some spiritual moms who can reach out to some hurting people who don't know what love really looks like. And don't know what forgiveness really looks like. I believe that. And I believe there's some good candidates right here. But no matter where you're at, maybe you're a dad in this room today, a mom in this room today, and like I said at the beginning, you feel like you failed miserably. Well, maybe you did. But you did the best you could. You know what? That's all we can do. It's the best we can. Because none of us are God. But for everybody in this room who did the best you could and you prayed and you loved and you gave and you're still giving and you're never giving up, here's the good news. Don't give up on your kids because you never need to give up on God. And God can take even every failure that we as parents make and He can turn it around. I guarantee you our Heavenly Father is still pursuing every prodigal, whether it's a prodigal in action or a prodigal in heart. And I guarantee you, if you planted the right seeds, God's able to bring them home. I want you to bow your heads with me today. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you on this Father's Day for everybody in this room, moms, dads, children. Father God, we thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy and your forgiveness. Lord, that you who know us best love us most. That's said so often, but God, is so true. And it amazes me. And Father God, across this room today for every breaking heart, those who miss fathers and mothers today, for those in this room, even those who may not have biological kids of their own, but God, they've done their part to speak life and bring peace and hope into lives of kids who just needed help in some season of their life. Father God, I thank you that everyone in this room who's ever made that attempt, Father God, that they would know that it wasn't wasted. Lord, that it was time well spent and the seeds that were planted, no matter what they see or hear now, or what they're not seeing or hearing now, God, that the seeds that were planted, Lord, those seeds are powerful. And Father God, I thank you they will come to harvest. There's going to be a time... When that son or that daughter is going to rise up and come to themselves. Lord, no matter what pigsty they may be in, whether it's a religious one or a literal one. And God, they're going to come to themselves and realize and remember the generosity and the compassion and the faithfulness and the integrity and the love that they had seen and known that could only come from you. So Father, I pray for hope, first of all. I pray for encouragement. I pray, God, that you would heal broken hearts and soothe troubled minds right now in Jesus' name. God, we do call the prodigals home. 
God, for every grandson, every granddaughter, every son or daughter. Father God, we call in those who are running from you, those who need to be saved or come home and get right with you today. No matter how far they've run or how far they've fallen, we ask you in the name of Jesus, we know you're there. You know exactly where they're at. And Lord, you will never turn your back on them. You're the one watching. You're the one waiting. And God, I call them home today. In the name of Jesus, we call them home. Father God, help them come back to themselves. Help them to remember the Word of God. Remember the love they felt. Remember your presence that they knew so well. Father, begin drawing them home. And God, give hope to the parents and grandparents in this room who need that today. And Father God, for every prodigal in this room, Father, we may be in church every Sunday. Lord, we may raise our hands and sing the songs, pray the prayers, and do ministry. But Lord, if in our heart we don't recognize that the greatest thing we have is a Father who loves us. Lord, if we're doing it for any other reason than love for you, Father God, I pray that you convict our hearts of that as well. And Father, that we would humbly come before you, just like this one son did. We would come to our senses and we would come home. And Lord, when we do, we know that you're going to meet us there. And before we can get a word out, you're going to fall on our neck. You're going to wrap your arms around us and you're going to bring restoration, forgiveness, and wholeness. Because that's just the kind of father that you are. Now God, help every one of us in this room to be that kind of father. Every mom to be that kind of mother. Every Christian in this room to be a spiritual father or a spiritual mother to those who need it. Lord, to give that kind of forgiveness, that kind of love, that kind of compassion, that kind of grace. And Father, we pray for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment, if you're in this room and you don't know the love of the Heavenly Father, you never have. Maybe your example of a father has not been what you, it should have been. Maybe you don't know self-sacrificial love. Maybe you've never seen that kind of forgiveness and that kind of grace. Please understand. Every human being lives out of what they've learned. Many dads and moms have done the best that they possibly can, and sometimes that falls far short of what we need. But God, the Heavenly Father, He loves you with a love that will never stop. And every time you felt real love, the, even the capacity to know that, whether it was directed to Him or not, that came from Him. And I want you to know, you can find your security and your wholeness in His arms where you can never find it anywhere else. And I promise you that no matter how far you've run, whether it's in actual running away from God or in your heart, in church the whole time, but running, I want you to understand He's watching. And He's waiting for you to come home. And the minute He sees you from afar, He'll run to you. That's the good news. You can't even get to Him by yourself. None of us can. But He's waiting. If you need Him today, if you've not known the Father's love, you've never given your heart to Jesus, and you want to do that today, would you lift your hand anywhere in this room? Is there anybody like that before we do anything else or pray for anything else? You need the Father's love. You've never known it. You need to give your heart to Jesus today, and you've never done that. Anybody like that before we do anything else? 
Okay, then there are two things I want to deal with before we close. I know there are some parents in this room who are hurting. I may not know exactly who you are, but I know you're here. You feel like you did everything you know how to do, but it just don't seem like that's been enough. And ever since then, you've just been kind of doubting even everything that you did. You look at other people's examples and you see only the highlight reels of their life. You don't see everything. But what you see, you've begun to think they did such a better job than I did. Of course they did because their kids are not running. No, they're not running today, maybe. But you don't know where they were running. and You don't know what tomorrow holds and it doesn't really matter. The key is, you've got a father who is perfect. And before we as dads and moms can ever really be what God's called us to be, we have to be loved and we have to receive hope and restoration. And if you're broken because of where your kids or your grandkids may be and maybe you've been blaming yourself, I challenge you. You have an opportunity to come to the Father right now. He's watching and He's waiting and He just wants to put His arms around you and bring restoration and let you know that even where we have failed, He is faithful. And He will take the seed that was planted and bring it to harvest if you'll just trust Him. I know there's some parents in this room who need that. I just don't know exactly who you are. But if that's you and you need prayer, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to call you up front, but I do want to pray for you. If you'll just lift your hand, hopefully nobody's looking around. If you know God's dealing with you, that's where you're at. God wants to bring restoration and hope and encourage anybody else, a parent in this room, grandparent in this room. God wants to bring restoration. He can do what you can't. He can do what you didn't. He can heal and He can restore. Anybody else, just real quick. Okay, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for each parent in this room whose hands just went up. Father God, I thank you that you're a God of restoration. You're a God of hope. You're a God of reconciliation. God, I thank you. You know exactly where those kids or those grandkids are right now. And you know exactly what's going on in their minds and their hearts. Father God, I thank you you can go right where they are and you can heal what's been broken. Father God, I thank you you can restore. You can bring reconciliation and we ask you to do that. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Father God, to go deep into those broken places and heal. And Father God, for the moms and dads in this room, the grandparents in this room, I pray that you would fill them with hope and encouragement today. Knowing that what they can't do, you can and you're doing. And Lord, we look forward to the day that we hear the word of restoration and homecoming to you most of all and even to them. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to ask every dad in this house, if you would, to stand. Everybody in this room who's a dad, if you would stand today. We want to honor you. If you would stretch out your hands towards these who are standing, we want to pray a prayer of blessing and encouragement over them. Father, in the name of Jesus, for every dad in this room, Lord God, we just thank you that, Father God, you're our Heavenly Father. And Lord, when we don't know what to do, we can run to you. And Lord, when we're broken, you can fix us. And Father God, when we're discouraged, you're our encourager. You're our anchor in every storm. And Father God, when we're looked to to give strength, and we don't have any of our own, Lord, we can run into your presence where there's fullness of joy and know that the joy of the Lord will always be our strength. Lord, we're not the rock of our children or our grandchildren. You're the rock. 
And Lord, I just thank you, God, that as we run to you, you give us your strength. You give us your wisdom. You give us your courage. You give us your love. And Father, I ask you to flow through each heart of each dad in this room. Let the power of your spirit envelop them, encourage them, give them health and strength and hope and peace today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We love you, dads. Happy, happy Father's Day. Hey, one more time, you get to eat dessert before you eat lunch. There's some cake for the dads. We probably got enough left over. We'll have enough for everybody that wants some. But get you a little piece of cake as you head out today. Be blessed. Have a happy Father's Day. No services tonight.